Hi, I'm Sharon Hunter, and this is Moonstone Connections, a podcast that puts the spotlight on important leaders in the world of arts and entertainment. Through in-depth conversations with people in the arts, we will get a chance to learn about them and how they are making a difference. I'm so happy to have our guest, Scott Sickles. He is an LGBTQ biracial Korean American writer whose plays have been performed in New York City, across the United States and internationally in Canada, Australia, the UK, Hungary, Singapore, Indonesia, and Lebanon. Recently, he published Playing on the Periphery, Monologues and Scenes for Queer Kids, available on Amazon. And we're gonna talk about that. He has full-length plays, A Nonsense and Beauty, which had its premiere at the Repertory Theater of St. Louis, right here in St. Louis, and Edgerton New Play Award, Outstanding New Play, a St. Louis Theater Circle Award, the ATCA Steinberg finalist. He has also done plays, Marianas Trench, the O'Neill finalist, uh, Pangea O'Neill semifinalist, and Composure, the New York Innovative Theater Award, and the Lambda Literary Finalist, among others. He has had five consecutive Writers Guild of America awards for writing for General Hospital and eight Emmy nominations. I mean, he's got a lot of stuff to talk about. He is prolific as a writer, and I am so happy to have him as a guest. Scott Sickles, thank you for being with us. Thank you for asking me to be with you. So this is wonderful. Oh, it is wonderful. And I, I usually start out by, because I'm so interested in, in your, your background, uh, I, I, you were Korean American, and I'm just interested as where you're from, was your family involved in theater or writing, and, and how did you get your start? Well, um, I, uh, I'm originally from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, um, born, raised, educated. I, I went to um, uh, University of Pittsburgh uh, in undergrad and then Carnegie Mellon uh, drama for, um, for my MFA in playwriting. So um, I'm a, a Pittsburgher through and through. And then um, uh, New York City, I moved to, uh, to New York City in 1996, and it is uh, my second hometown. They're, they are both my hometowns. Uh, and then my third hometown is when I, I got uh, my first job writing for soaps uh, at One Life to Live in uh, 2009. And uh, that's my soap, Landview, Pennsylvania is my soap opera hometown. So uh, <laughs> I can't that, wait to talk about this. Oh, wow. Um, this is I, fantastic. I, I, me too. I, I love chatting about the soaps. Uh, but uh, yeah, I um, uh, my mother, uh, my, my parents are, are both gone, but my mother uh, was Korean. My father was um uh, uh, of uh, German, uh, mostly German descent, but we are a, a historic family um, because uh, we are, um, uh, it, I'm not, my nephew knows how, but my, um, we are some sort of distant cousin from General Daniel Edgar Sickles, who was the Civil War gener- general who almost single-handedly lost the Battle of Gettysburg and uh, because of him um, and a murder he committed in front of the White House, um, uh, his, uh, the temporary insanity defense it was course. introduced into American law successfully, and I consider that my birthright. 
that is an amazing story. I mean, yeah. that's and we haven't even gotten to me yet. So no, I know. I mean, already <laughs> we we have set the 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 bar very high. So um, that is really exciting. I mean, and I guess growing up and and because of of the biracial, how was that? I mean, that's we talk about this so much now. Did did mm. did you find that was uh, easy for you or was it not as easy for you at the time? No, it was awful. Oh. Um, and it was not just awful outside of the home. There, there, there are many ways that it was, uh, it was difficult. Um, I mean, outside of the home, there is of course the, the racism. Mm -hmm. And it was, I, I, you know, I was growing up in, um, I was in elementary school in, in the 19, uh, early 1970s. And so, you know, it was not uncommon to hear, you know, the word chink spewed it at, wow. at you know at children from other children um and uh yeah and, and it was um it, it was just not great uh and at home um there's also um there's a culture clash because um we have uh, my mother um has a, a very sort of um east asian um dedication to appearance mm -hmm. uh it was um uh, what was how people perceived you was much more important than what you actually did. It was all about face, face, face. Mm -hmm. uh, we must say face it, you know, it doesn't matter if, you know, uh, you know, what's going on in the home as long as people think we're perfect. And my father um, having um, strict German parenting on his mother's side, right. um, there was a, a sort of similar double edge to that. Um, I actually, um, in, in my play, going back to art for a second, in my play, Marianas Trench, um, it uh, deals very much with that sort of opera. Uh, it was the first time I had actually written um, characters that were specifically Asian. I just sort of been writing, I've been focusing more on LGBTQ stuff, specifically uh, sure. gay stuff, gay male romances <laughs> and um, gay stuff. It, all, it sounds so salacious, but, uh, but the, um, but I usually write a lot, I write a lot of, uh, gay love stories uh, right music, right mostly, we'll get to that yes yes indeed we will and uh <laughs> and then um here this was another gay love story mariana's trench but it takes place between um two boys who are pen pal correspondents they never meet they never see each other's faces but they're writing a correspondence and it takes place in an alternate um 2019-2020 school year where the United States has divided into two separate countries, mm -hmm. the U.S. and the new Confederate States of America. And one of them is on the trapped on the Confederate side, and he's the child of, of um, former Muslims. Mm -hmm. And then there's uh, the character who is um, very much, um, uh, who I identify with very much. I can't say he's based on me, but uh, the character, his name is Teddy, and he, um, I, I can just say he is the nerd I always wish I had been. <laughs> I was not that clever. <laughs> I, I, was, I, I, was th I was that clever 20 minutes later, but not at the moment. And, um, and it was, um, uh, so there's a lot of pressure, um, especially as um, a small, unathletic gay child of, of you know, uh, an Asian mother and a, and a German American father to be more, um, you know, you have to be more like a boy. You have to be more masculine. Why aren't you? Why aren't wow. you going out at sports? Why aren't you better at sports? And from my mother's point of view, it's, um, and I've talked to some um, uh, some of my other uh, friends of similar descent, and um, uh, there is a, a method methodology of raising your children where 
Um, my mother actually said to the neighbors uh, at one point, I always make sure my children know they should be ashamed of themselves so they'll try harder. <laughs> so, yeah. So, yeah. I, I know what you speak. My godmother was Japanese. There you go. And so I, in my formative years, I spent a lot of time with her and it, I understand what you're talking about. There is so much about, um, you keep a lot of it inside. Mm -hmm. It's a lot about appearances and it's, um, there's there, but there's also some beauty to it in that you're, there's a gentility. There's a, um, I don't know how to describe it. Maybe you do more it. You know what I'm talking about. I, I mean, I, it's I a do, double edge. I, I find it to be, um, the, the, the beauty in the, it, it reminds me of, um, Go, going back to like Japanese feudal history, mm -hmm. it's like there are these beautiful pagodas with with paper walls and a bloodbath going on behind them, <laughs> like and it's like in Kill Bill. So yeah. yeah, yeah, just like look at look at look at like um, the Kurosawa uh, samurai films. I and it's love just, those like, films. Yes, they're amazing. And then you know you just see this like beautiful, beautiful like the the walls. Like if the air blows too hard, they can shatter. But they are protecting the like the world from what's going on inside and it's not to say like everything is bad right, um, right but it's a very complicated culture and growing up in the 1970s in the free to be you and me days yes, where absolutely. you know I mean I caught hell for singing William once a doll <laughs> I caught hell so I was not allowed to want to be a nurse when I grew up was were your parents um were they were they supportive of your career in the arts or going into writing or were, did, was there something else that either you had thought about doing besides oh. the arts or that they wanted you to do? Yes to all that. Uh, but it's <laughs> just, uh, yeah, it, cause it was, um, um, I, I was, I, I had no intention of actually going into the arts. Um, I was, um, I, I was, uh, growing up, I wanted to, um, uh, in my high school, uh, we had um, a program about medical careers. And I, one of the things that I, I wanted to do and I thought I was going to do when I started college was uh, get a, a master's degree in social work. That was my ultimate goal. And I, I, I worked in the, the, um, uh, the, the mental health field. Um, I, I, it was at the time it was MHMR, mental health, mental retardation, and now it's um, intellectual disabilities. Right, um, right. Um, but I, I worked in that field um, for uh, five years, and that was really? uh, extraordinary. Yeah, oh, I bet. Um, you learn a lot about people. Stories, stories, uh, characters, and um, most of it was with the um, uh, the uh, intellectually disabled population, which I. I, I don't like that term either, but um, uh, but there there is um, uh, there were incredibly colorful people and very um, it, it, the the, um, the description of of adults with um, very childlike minds is mm -hmm. is was to me very accurate because oh the mischief that was made and uh, there was a, a lot of there was a, a lot of intelligence just operating on a very childlike level, but that's that um but yeah i was um um going to go into social work and um um and because my my family was crazy um there was a lot of uh, i mean there's a lot of legitimate mental illness in my family um were you an and, only uh, child um no i have a sister okay i have a sister who re her refers to herself as a recovering sociopath so it's oh, all well, very yeah i mean oh no the gallows humor runs rampant into sickles plan <laughs> And uh, 
we all have a path, right? Oh, indeed we do. Indeed we do. No, my, 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 my sister, God lover was like, by the time she was like an adult, um, she was already, she was on like a first name basis with the entire Ross Township Police Department. Oh, well, there you go. So, so yeah, like, like at that point they were friendly. <laughs> <laughs> Great. No, my sister's like the, the most uh, colorful and fascinating person I think I, I, I've ever met, but um and I've known her quite literally all her life because she's younger. Oh, well, there you um, go. Is she, yeah. is she in the arts or no? No, 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 no. I, well, I mean, my, my sister is, um, um, she, she followed inadvertently, I think, a very Asian, uh, a Korean path. She, she's um, uh, a manicure stylist. Oh. <laughs> so yeah, she, she has her uh, own business called uh, Nailed to Perfection because that's who uh, she well, is. Well, perfect. And I was Nailed like- to perfection. Yeah, she she did um, uh, like I, I saw her do like very detailed things on people's fingernails. I'm like, well, that is the Pittsburgh Penguins uh, logo, and it's incredibly tiny. But yeah, there's um, so it's artistic. There you go. She's artistic in that way, indeed, and she's she's very funny and smart and witty. Um, but uh, yeah, um, the parents um, like. Um, like I told my mother, I had gotten into the Carnegie Mellon playwriting program that I was one of four people who was accepted out of so That's many incredible. applicants. And she was, maybe you should go into English. So nothing was going to be good enough. Uh, right, so, right. Yeah. Yeah. I could, I could win the Nobel Peace Prize. There's still war. It doesn't count. Did you so, start writing as a, as a teen in high school? Like just. I started your... writing earlier. I started writing in elementary school. And was it your, you were taking it from your own life and your own experiences and putting it, putting that into it? I was a sci-fi nut from an early age. Oh, so it was okay. a combination of those things. It was sort of like sci-fi adventure stories, including, you know, uh, I remember there was a story I read in front of a class that included other people in the class. Um, I think, uh, and I was, of course, just always sort of like a weird outcasty kid. I, I, I also like looking back, there's an, there's a late in life ADD diagnosis, which explains like my entire childhood. So, uh, well, yeah, yeah, I mean, a lot of people have said that, that when they find out later on that it, it does, it, it indicates exactly what they were feeling and what they were going through and yeah. even the, 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 the career paths that they chose. Oh yeah, yeah, it, it really does. And um, and I I mean I I remember um like back in elementary school, I wanted um because parenting was lax, um uh, th there was um I, I watched uh when CBS, I believe it was, aired The Exorcist on commercial television. I remember I watched it and I was very young. And what was really creepy is that, I mean, th there's a lot of profanity in the film and instead of bleeping it, they just cut the sound, which made it creepier. Sure, because and, they're mouthing the words. Yeah, like, oh, yeah. And there are these okay. like weird images. Ooh. And um, and I wrote a send up of The Exorcist that I wanted to put together for the talent show. So I was in elementary school show. trying to write and direct my own play, which was a send up of The Exorcist for the talent <laughs> show. And the reason it didn't happen was because I swear to God, artistic differences. Was <laughs> Wait, was that the reason? Okay. That was yeah. the reason because okay. I was not getting along with the actors. And oh, we okay. Like, well, yeah. I can't work so, with this. I uh, they were, yeah, we could not work with each other okay and, well um, there you and, go and you know and you know that was you know you know when you're 10 it's a problem it, it is <laughs> it's just, it, you know yeah. you just stomp off you know you just i'm i can't throw the 
the papers yeah, in the air. Exactly. That probably happened. But uh, I, I, but I mean, f fortunately, like none of my early, my early career elementary school writings exist anymore. They were, you know, a, a lot of stuff went away. Um, and, uh, and I, I really am not filled with that much regret that there is no evidence of my childhood writing. So when um, you got into Carnegie Mellon, was that yeah. really the, 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 pin, the pinnacle of when you said, I'm going to be a writer? This is my yeah. career, because that's an amazing achievement, by the way. Congratulations it, it, it's quite cool. And it was really, I mean, the, it was two of the best years of my life. Oh, um, I because it, it, um, I, I was um, studying um, with uh, Arthur Jerome and, um, and uh, Tony McKay and Frank Galliano. Um, and uh, it was just, it was a really good program because, um, excuse me, they, um, they really, um, I mean, we, our, our Arthur was the, a professor who sort of focused on the imagination and, and your voice and, and really just sort of pushing the boundaries of what you want to do. Mm -hmm. And Tony uh, McKay, on the other hand, was, um, you know, very interested in, in, in dramaturgy and craft and the structure of playwriting. So you had this y beautiful yin yang and Frank was oh. in charge of the, um, of uh, like, um, theater lab and the new play development and actual the practical applications of all this so it went um and, and that was um you know uh, just really great stuff and in fact um one of the plays that i wrote there uh was um was supposed to be a one act it turned out to be 90 minutes it was called a uh, hairdresser on fire and it was just published by next stage press 27 years after the production oh wow yes oh, that's great and it was uh that that cast featured um um christian borrell uh, two-time Tony Award winner Christian Borrell, yes. Patrick Wilson, um, Golden Globe-nominated movie star, um, yes. um, Mary my Bacon, favorites. who was just uh, um, given um, a, a wonderful uh, ma major theater award. It was uh, um, a Drama Desk Award, I believe, um, wow. uh, pretty much just for being the treasure that she is. Robin Kurtz was in it. Um, and uh, and uh, who was who uh, still a very strong staple in the independent theater community. I mean, it was uh, really great. And one day during that production um, was the first time Pittsburgh um, had like these record low temperatures and the school was, uh, Carnegie Mellon closed down for the first time in its like over one century old history. They, we, we broke into the theater and we rehearsed. <laughs> well, that's that's what you got to do sometimes. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It was a true Ed Wood moment. And, um, <laughs> and we were very, I'm very proud of us for having broken the law and in the in university's insurance policy and endangering our lives to put on the show. After Carnegie Mellon, did you automatically go right into, you know, just writing plays one after the other and then and then have oh. them produced or how did that how does that work i mean for people that are and i'm very interested in speaking mm -hmm. to you because sure. as a playwright as a screenwriter a lot of times i don't think people understand the process where you get your ideas where oh, you get your yeah. themes and how you go about you know your writing and and how you get it out there i think it's it's fascinating to me well i mean there, there there's um yeah it's all of that is is um um it's it's kind of fascinating to be in the middle of it and and um and i think um like just the 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 path of like being a writer isn't quite so sequential um because it's it's over because i was um you know i started writing um i think i started writing plays more in earnest in in undergrad because i did take um 
a playwriting course in um, in undergrad uh, with um, uh, Dr. Kathleen George at the University of Pittsburgh, mm -hmm. and um, it, it was nice. Uh, uh, two of my short plays are included in her textbook, which is nice. Um, they they may at this point be examples of what not to do. Who knows? But uh, <laughs> yeah, but uh, but it was. Um, I really started to write more in earnest in, in undergrad, and that's what spurred me on to um, to pursuing it for the actual. I, I, I graduated with a degree in philosophy oh, um, okay. from undergraduate, um, and um, uh, I, I studied psych and philosophy and theater. And then I, um, several years later, I wrote a play called Intellectuals, where the main characters are a psychologist, a philosopher, and uh, um, uh, a theater critic. And I, I, I jokingly said in an interview once that I wanted that play to um, allow me to write off my entire undergraduate education because I really <laughs> felt it should, but no. But uh, yeah, um, but it's, um, yeah, I, when I was in grad school, I started a theater company called Pittsburgh New Voices, um, okay. which um, went on um, for a few years after I, I left it. Um, but uh, yeah, and we were devoted to producing um, um, new plays by Pittsburgh playwrights. Um, and, um, you know, and, and I would, you know, include a play of mine in each of our seasons, but I think we had like four to six plays per season with, um, with, uh, I think two weekend runs, four weeks of rehearsal. Um, we did one act festivals mm -hmm. and it was, um, I'm, I'm very proud of what we were able to do. Um, and, and, um, a lot of the time we were able to do it, I think pretty well. I think I have fond memories of that period. But you, it was, I mean, yeah, you're a prolific uh, one-act playwriter. I mean, you have many, and they're produced uh, everywhere. They're, they're, um, <laughs> um, they're not they're they're not produced as widely as I I, I lead people to believe. I think I'm, I've <laughs> I've been very good at, um, at at making announcements in such a way where it appears that more is actually going on <laughs> than there really is. No. I, 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 know, I know, like th th there's some uh, playwrights I know who. Um, if, they, if there's a week in the year that they don't have two or three plays going on somewhere in the world, mm -hmm. um, then it's weird for them. I'm, I, I feel like uh, I had seven plays pr uh, produced last year and five of them were in the same place. I feel that that was a good year. Oh, it is a you good know? year. Oh, that's oh, um, tremendous. Yeah, not, not yeah. And it was, and they were, they were um, short plays. I think they were totaled at like half an hour. And but, after um, the, after the time when you were doing that after with your theater company, then did you, did you move then to New York and then you, you were doing, yeah. 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 I was uh, at Pittsburgh new voices. Um, uh, um, I, I produced a couple of seasons there and then I, I moved to New York in 1996 and that was, um, and I had passed the baton off to, uh, um, Mickey Salvatella was the artistic director after I was. And, uh, and she, she took that ball and ran with it. Um, but, um, yeah. Um, and, and we, we participated in the, uh, Samuel French, uh, one act festival, mm -hmm. uh, when I was there in the Pittsburgh new works festival. Yep. Um, I acted in that and Samuel in French. Oh yeah. Yeah. I spent yeah, 10 excellent. years in New York. Yeah. Uh, Zoya Kashadurian directed me in a one okay. act for them. And, uh, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, I love the one act play festival. I did, I was spent five years with Estra Genius festival wow. and I directed and I was on the play reading committee and I was a producer and I was an actor with them. And I, I, I'm, a, I'm a big proponent of that. And I think that it's so important to have new works and to have, to have new voices. Oh, and yeah. I think it's very special. And I, I think that's why I admire you so much because you, you seem to, and I, I was gonna ask you about this, you put so much of yourself 
and your your life's journeys into your works. And is that is that what you try to do? Because I especially want to talk about nonsense and beauty because oh, I sure. saw that. Oh yeah, it was beautiful. You have an amazingly gifted way of of really getting into the emotion and feeling of your dialogue. It was tremendous. Thank you. Yes, it Thank was so really, much. really touching. I, I, I appreciate that. And I'm, I'm so glad you saw it. It was, um, that, that, was um, that was a true labor of, of love uh, because it was, um, uh, the, the first draft of that uh, was written um, in, I think I started writing it in 1994 and the first draft was written in 1995 mm. so uh to have it actually fully produced um you know 24 years later um it was a journey and a lot of that journey that that place spent in a drawer uh but um i um it was i, I was very much um you know it was um you know the the the, the late 80s and um actually the mid to late 80s um E.M. Forrester was was huge mm -hmm. because yes, Howard's a, End, a Passage to India, right. um, even uh, so, some other things. But the Merchant Ivory, um, the Merchant Ivory films were actually very um, uh, the the ones in their heyday. Um, Remains of the Day, Howard's End, uh, Room with a View, and Room with a View, yeah, were huge, huge um, influences on me. Um, and you can like there are some scenes that are structured um, very much like scenes in those films. Mm -hmm. um, and um, uh, uh, three, the three-part dinner scene is very much a merchant ivory thing, and I do it in a few plays. But uh, yeah, <laughs> and, and that's just, one of them. Well, I noticed that because just the richness of your dialogue, and I, I remember the scene when he tells him how much he loves him mm. and that he will always love him. And it's so, it's so beautifully done. Thank you. And it, it does, it, it taps into Ian Forster's writing. And I and I think it's lovely that you bring that. And I I think it's it's it, it takes a, a great ear and a great sensitivity to do that. And that's why I was saying, I, I see how much of you is in your work, and and you find that for yourself and with all of your yeah. plays. I I I do um, um, with with the full lengths especially. I I, I really do the the, the one X and the smaller ones are some of them are just so random. But there's always like some part of you, and usually some sort of fear or longing. It, it is for me. It's fear and longing that that is what um, um, an inspiration. I, I like to write uh, about the nature of inspiration uh, a lot. Um, but uh, but I, I I often say that I'm a fear based writer. And um, even uh, nonsense and beauty. I um, um, and I, th I think this was in the the uh, program notes. But I, I had um, one day I was at the barn at a Barnes and Noble in Pittsburgh, and I discovered a book called The Gay Fireside Companion. And I'm leafing through it, and I see Buckingham, comma Bob, and it's the story of how Bob Buckingham, lover of E.M. Forster, yada yada yada, um, uh, <laughs> wife whose name is not mentioned because it's the Gay Fireside Companion, and who is she? And um, Gay Fireside and, Companion. Yeah, she's the villain. Person. But yeah, but but um, but um, there was this jealousy, and then eventually they became friends. And Forster dies holding um, May Buckingham's hand. I know that's um, such a beautiful story. Yeah, and it was just like, oh, well, that was just like, I finding that's a gift. But I, I immediately thought while I was reading it, um, well, this is how I'm going to die holding the hand of the wife of the man I love. Oh, and there you go. Oh. That was it. 
um, but um, you know, um, hope springs eternal. But that was that was how it looked at the time. So you have an inspiration, and you have just so because I have writing students. I I'm a professor at Maryville University, so mm. I I've been talking to them about inspiration and where you get that. And I I'm curious wh how do how you what's your what's your system like? What's your style? How do you, you how do you go from that spark? of the fireside companion to mm -hmm. then what the research and and how do you keep on track oh, that was um in um, that play in particular it was kind of fascinating because um it's one of uh two biographical uh plays that i've, I've written the other one is um lightning from heaven about um Olga Vinskaya and Boris Pasternak. She was allegedly the muse behind Lara mm. and dr Zhivago. but uh what i did in both cases is that i found a um uh, I did a lot of research and I found uh, a primary source material. It was her memoir. It was a biography of Forrester. Um, and I, um, because of the ADD, I like know my limitations. Like if I read this entire thing, it will be decades before I finish it and the play will never be written. And I knew what I wanted to focus on. So I, fo I <laughs> this is how long ago it was, I photocopied the index and I highlighted all the stuff with Bob. And I would read those passages between Forrester and Bob, and then other things would happen where, oh, his mother. And then I would look up, highlight his mother and look up that stuff. And then J.R. Ackerley was so important in this story that I'm like highlighting all the J.R. Ackerley in the index. And I'm reading the fragments. I've never read the entire biography because I would still be reading it. Well, see, I'm the same way. I have to highlight and I have to, because I'm like you, if I read an entire book and I will never, I would <laughs> never, I'd be like, forget this. I'm, yeah. that's why I, this is interesting to hear this, that you talk about this because I do, it, it, it's interesting how you have found a system and a way to write and write so prolifically with, with that, with that also as a factor. Well, part of the prolificity is that um, is that I've only written two biographical plays, and the other ones don't require nearly as much research. But uh, but the one I mentioned before, Marianas Trench, um, uh, it's part of a trilogy, and um, with Pangea and another play called mm -hmm. The Known Universe, which takes place, you know, from that divided United States to the literal end of the, the last day of sustainable life on Earth, mm -hmm. forty nine years later, and there was a tremendous amount of research that had to go because it's science fiction and you have to know what you're taught at least for um the play the second play deals a lot with science uh, um and and um and environmental science the third play um the sciencey stuff is is kind of background for the circumstances it's much more philosophical mm -hmm. but um but you know you still have to have the science you still have to look up like at what temperature will furnace will furnaces begin to fail okay there's no information on that so what is your best guess what what you you know finding the information that you need to make an educated guess on you know when when the furnace of a well-insulated building will fail because the temperature is dropping to zero degrees kelvin in a matter of minutes mm -hmm. and um and it's um uh and and a, a lot of for Mar marianus chench what the problems would be if the united states did divide and there were fortunately a couple of very good um source material or source articles that i could use to focus on that and build that world 
Um, so that was, um, uh, it was tremendous fun. And that, that trilogy is, I, I like to call it how I spent 2018 because <laughs> I, I cranked, I, I, I've rarely, if ever written more than one full length play in a year. Cause I, I outline like a madman. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I will spend, um, like my play composure. I actually spent years outlining that in my head before committing it to, to paper. And, um, what happened was I was, um, uh, I, uh, speaking of being a theater maker, I was um, a producer at a theater company, um, an off-off-Broadway uh, new play development theater company in New York City. And I, um, uh, for, and I, I did that for 12 years. I was a producer there and I was um, uh, uh, um, an art, the artistic director um, uh, and artistic director for one year. Uh, we, we had a team and then the solo artistic director for five years between 2009 and 2014 and when I was um, busy producing I didn't actually start a new full-length play for a decade really I was yeah I, there was a decade where I was um, I was rewriting older plays and we uh -huh. were producing uh, new drafts of older plays mm -hmm. um, and um, but uh, when I left the artistic directorship in in 2014 um, I, I decided okay well I'm not producing anymore and um, I'm not going to be like, I, I will dramaturg upon request, but I'm not going to, it will not be like my volunteer duty mm -hmm. anymore. Um, it's, it's not my job. Mm -hmm. um, I'm just going to focus on being a playwright. And it was like, Composure was a play that I had, which was a, it's a deeply personal play. Um, and it had been floating around and outlining itself in my head for several years. And then when I found out that I was most likely no longer going to be the artistic director of this company anymore. Mm -hmm. It's like the outline just, just like flooded at floodgates. It wow. was floodgates. And I was able to build on it from there. And I was, uh, I, I wrote a lot of it at the company at the time through their develop, our developmental programs. Um, and then, um, and, uh, and then eventually I, I work with a, a wonderful director, Fritz Brickeller, who, um, um, yeah, it, it's it's always great when you you write a play that you think it's like okay, well, is this just me bitching and moaning about my life and no one ever is gonna gonna care about my whining? And then I sent it to uh, to him and he read it and he said, "How did you know this happened to me?" Oh, and wow. I'm like, well, I definitely have found the the right guy for this project. Wow. And uh, yeah. Does your does the dialogue come easily to you? If you're, I mean, I know like some you've done lots of research, and once you start, you get to that point. Does it just flow, or do um, you have days where it's like nothing's happening, and I need to step away and come oh, back to this? Sure, sure. I have I have plenty of days and moments uh, like like that, and um. And uh, like my, my advi advice for people who, who uh, the advice I give to people who are like, what do you do about writer's block? I'm like, anything else. Um, that's uh, <laughs> really? Facebook, watching a movie, um, I'll go to bed, do some, go for a walk, just do, do something. Don't think about the thing that you're stuck on because you're just going to stay stuck on it. Um, right. Sometimes powering through it works for, for people. And mm -hmm. if, you know, whatever works is, is really what you need to do. But, um, but yeah, I, there, but usually dialogue, um, dialogue really flows. My biggest challenge for dialogue is to make sure that everyone is supposed to sound like who they're supposed to sound like and they they don't all sound like me it's just like um, yeah uh that's that's um, a good point yeah especially if you've done a lot of research representing yeah. you um you know they they don't you know uh always sound like 
like you as as um uh, a friend of mine uh, was giving me notes on a play. He says, no one talks like this. And I said, I talk like that. He said, exactly. <laughs> okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's so, a really good bit of a, yeah. That's, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and so I was, um, uh, you know, I, I'd really try to make sure that uh, Boris Pasternak sounds like Boris Pasternak and Ian e. Forrester sounds like Ian e. Forrester. And when they're the characters I'm making up, um, you know, uh, that, that um, you know, they they all have um you know individual wants and needs and and you know backgrounds mm -hmm. and um and, and that um uh yeah that th th they really um you know that they're individuals because mm -hmm. um you know there's you know it, it's when, when you're watching a play and like i'm sure i've written my share of them where everyone sounds alike uh, it's yes. very monotonous so um so it's it's fun to to find out like who speaks in complete sentences and who who doesn't. Now I wanted to talk about because we talked we touched on it at the beginning about your being in the LGBTQ community. Yeah, and I see your work in your themes in your writing. It seems like that is where your voice is a lot. Talk about that and talk about your journey through that with writing and and also we were, I want to touch you on the love stories which are brilliant. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so where to begin? Um, uh, um, I mean, I think, uh, I mean, Hairdresser on Fire was the, um, the first, uh, it, it's the, I, I consider it the first play that I wrote where I kind of knew what I was doing. Um, and and uh, anything before that, I was, I was feeling my way around. But, um, but I, I had, um, uh, I, I endured a very, um, toxic relationship in my in my teens okay um and with uh, someone else who was also in their teens but um but uh and it was uh, it was very very difficult um and uh that um you know uh incidents that happened in that relationship um kind of i poured it all into to the earlier drafts of hairdresser on fire and it, there there was a, there was a lot of um physical and emotional abuse and it was just too much for half for an hour and a half to put in all this stuff and wow. and, and and like and still have any sympathy for your your protagonist for enduring this um whereas you know when it's happening over a two-year period of time that's different mm -hmm. um and um so i actually um uh, it was one of the best pieces of advice that I had ever gotten from my uh, direct director, Bill Kovacic, who uh, said, um, you need to make this play less like Taxi Driver and more like Remains of the Day. Well, there you go. That's quite Which a... <laughs> I actually told um, James Ivory that story in the two seconds I met him once. But uh, yeah. What, I can't imagine. What did he say? Was he... He, was, he, he, was his, he was very, he seemed very flattered. There was not a conversation. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, but it was... Um, uh, yeah, and uh, it's like I got my, got my um, my ring light here. It's going off and on like the light in, at the end of Psycho. But, uh, but yeah, it's um, you don't look like it. But you know, good, good. But I'm, no, glad, no, I'm glad look, there's only a marginal resemblance between me and Mrs. Bates. No, but, no you but, look yeah. fabulous. Thank no. you. Yeah, but the, yeah, the but um, good. excellent. But yeah, there was. Um, I mean, uh, what what I think that the inspiration was is that. Um, you know, I, I mean, just, you know, we've talked about a little bit about like how I grew up in the attitudes growing up and th there was, um, th there, there was a, a very strong erosion of self-esteem that was uh, happening throughout childhood, throughout adolescence um, and into a, a, adulthood that, mm -hmm. um, that, you know, it, it, it's, it, it suddenly, you know, 
it goes from being, you know, a bad time in, in your childhood to how you're hardwired. So there's, um, yeah. And, yes. you know, it's, it's one of the things that you overcome, but don't recover from entirely. Exactly. I, I think that a lot of it, um, uh, a lot of what I write, because there, um, I, I used to write about people who I, I, I dub romantically disadvantaged. Um, <laughs> That's a great and, way to put uh, it. I love that. My great take on, on, on the on PC terminology of the time, but yeah, and it was, um, and um, uh, the um, you know, there there was the relationship in Hairdresser on Fire, and then Ian e. Forster's Unrequited Love in mm -hmm. um, in Nonsense and Beauty, and I, I have had my share of like head over heels crushes on straight guys, and that's um, yeah, it, it really. I think that informed a lot. Um, and then, um, and, and well, uh, sure, because you see, there's an impetus of what you see in another story that is yeah. reflective back to you. And then you are able to write it because it still has some element of your voice. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because that, 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 you know, that, that's, um, you know, the incident, you know, the, the inspiration is the light and the writer's the prism, I guess, which is something I just made up. I love that. Yeah, that's, uh, me too. Let's, that's, let's, that's perfect. Right that down but yeah, but yeah and um i probably accidentally stole it from someone but uh, but but yeah and then and then what what's you know you know the the rainbow on the wall is the play and i think that um that you uh that, that we um you know we all do that uh and what what i was um was processing was the sort of um like the the um you know the challenges that i myself was you know was i've been like single my entire life so it was um um you know the um you know like the sort of the the various stages of uh, of longing you know the <laughs> anger <laughs> denial acceptance you know bargaining but uh, you know, <laughs> sounds um, like grief what <clears throat> shockingly okay. yes yes um, exactly but um um uh, but yeah it was uh, uh uh yeah and it was just like the uh, and even even in um in like the heterosexual love stories, like um, Nonsense and Beauty and um, in my, my play, The Philosopher's Joke, which is based on a Jerome K. Jerome short story about people who go back in time and see how, um, you know, you know, they go back in time in their imaginations knowing how their lives would turn out and and decide, you know, and see if they make the same choices. And, mm -hmm. and, um, and I think um, that uh, a lot of, you know, like the, the sort of, you know, romantic frustrations that, that one goes through, that I go through or have gone through, um, have certainly contributed to, to the writing and sort of the, the, the mistakes one can make mm -hmm. um, and, um, and how, um, uh, and, and there's a lot of unrequited love. There's um, a, a certain amount of uh, forbidden love that's, um, that's happening between people who, um, you know, who, uh, in my play, non, um, um, Moonlight Love Songs, it's very much about a relationship of two people who would be absolutely perfect for each other, but then they find out why they're not. <laughs> and it's a huge problem. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah. Um, and uh, I, I won't say what it is, but but because it's a plot twist. But um, but it's. Uh, is the way that you thing. write for the LGBTQ community today different than, say, how you were writing for it 20, 30 years ago? Um. Yes and no. I think it, it's it's not because I um I, I've 20, 30 years ago um, there you know, 
a lot of uh, LGBTQ theater, um, especially a lot of gay theater was um, guys in their underwear talking about how funny they are and what it's like to be gay or AIDS plays. Mm-hmm. And um, which you know was not to say that that there 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 weren't important voices, but um, but I I, I wrote a, a ten minute play called Beautiful Noises, which was inspired by, in many ways, by Terrence McNally's uh, Andre's Mother, which is a beautiful monologue, and it's an AIDS related play. But I wanted to write um, a graveside play about a mother mourning the death of her gay son and she doesn't like his his surviving lover. And it's not because he had AIDS or was beaten to death or because she's homophobic. It was for other reasons, that, that there were other reasons that gay people could in fact still die in car accidents. accidents. You know, your, your right. boyfriend's mother can hate you not because you're gay, but because because he moved away to be with you and you took him away. It's right. So it doesn't gay. just fall into the stereotypical themes. It's, yeah, exactly. it's looking at people as people as opposed yeah. to gay people. Yeah, I, exactly. And, yeah. And the thing, and, and I, I discovered that approaching um, writing gay characters from, uh, from a, <laughs> you know, with a broader humanity was not necessarily marketable. Because it was like, okay, well, you know, it's, you know, we, we want, we want the AIDS play. We want the violent, the, 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 you know, the, the play about gay bashing. We want the, um, you know, we, we want the, um, um, the boys in their underwear play. And then we moved on to, um, uh, you know, more like, you know, more domestic kind of, uh, of plays. Right. And, um, and it, it is a little frustrating to be like, to, to, to be, um, hearing it's like this is what theater about gay people is about now and I'm like oh remarkably like the thing I wrote 25 years ago it's, so okay. it's catching up right yeah yeah but not to say that I was ahead of my time I, which I wasn't I was just uh, focusing on things and um and and there's just I don't have a gift for marketing um <laughs> so I'm very very pleased whenever anything happens um and um and uh, especially with the full lengths, because they they don't happen as often as they do, of course, with the with the one X. But um, but yeah, I think that um, like the way I, I I've always tried to approach um, the story from from a broader humanity. There there was a term that um, was used uh, way back when called post gay, and it was like when when being gay was considered um, just like you know uh, about as unusual as being left handed or having hazel eyes um right yeah it was right. just you know um so so that's how i was writing it and i think that there was a certain non-controversiality to that that sort of um you know limited limited its um um the scope of its marketability i was but, just gonna but, yeah yeah but i think that um uh, that uh, I still approach it that way, but I've um, what's changed uh, in the way I, I write things. Early on, you'll notice um, you'll notice when you examine my oeuvre. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, yeah, grad students take note. But uh, but there there's um, uh, there were a lot of plays. Um, there there are certain tropes that keep recurring. Um, that uh, a, um, uh, relationships with age differences, significant age differences. Mm-hmm. Um, like in nonsense and beauty and intellectuals, um, a, a, a professor um, is um, uh, approached by one of his former students who is in his uh, um, is in his like mid twenties. So mm-hmm. there's a significant uh, age difference there, um, and there's another age difference in that play where um, a, 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 a heterosexual man, the the um, 
uh, philosophy professor has um, uh, pretends to have an affair with one of his uh, students and and uh, to make his wife jealous. And she's an oh. older woman. She's in her like 60s or 70s. So oh, wow. um, so it's uh, um, I, I had a, we had a, a dress rehearsal of a staged reading of that play at the uh, Carnegie Mellon Showcase of New Plays in 2000. And the only people who were invited were um, the pre-college students who were all 16 and uh, a group of senior citizens. And so we had people in their 70s and people who were in their mid-teens and they loved it. So oh, it was like- Well, there you go. Because it was You're kind getting... of almost about them. And it was really, <laughs> really nice. I but, see yeah. myself in that character, exactly. <laughs> there you go, yeah. And, uh, but then, um, but there's also a sort of, um, um, I, I, I think in sort of um, romantic fantasy slash porn literature, there's a sort of a nerd jock dynamic where there's, um, the foils where there there's someone who is inherently cooler and someone who is inherently nerdier somehow ming commingling it romantically and i think um and um uh, uh, my first uh, my my one and only samuel french short play that was uh published i uh, was uh, uh, a piece called murmurs and um and it, it was a take on the sort of um nerd jock type type thing and it, it turned out to be uh, very sweet, but um, but that's sort of recurred in my life. Right. So I'm just so like, your work is is yeah. We there's... all kind of write the same three plays over and over again, and that's one of mine. I act actually um, uh, ha had to sort of promise myself not to write those anymore, and I've actually managed to write several plays since where the where 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 the um, couples are the two members of the couple are the same age. So, um, so at least, uh, um, you know, like in the trilogy, they're, you know, they're, they're the same age throughout. They're both, you know, you know, uh, uh, 11, 38 and 59 in, in, in each, of, each of the plays. Uh, but um, in composure there, um, the characters are 48 and, and 52. And I was, I wanted to be very specific because I wanted their combined age to be exactly one century. Sure. Um, and, um, but, uh, but yeah, and even in the things I'm, I'm writing, I'm, I'm like in the middle of writing something, I haven't even posted it to the New Play Exchange, but uh, um, I, I've written a lot about uh, children lately. Yes, um, because I want to talk about your book. And I also I want to talk to. about recently, you just did the heroes and villains monologues at Urban Stages. Yes, I did. And that was, that's cool. That's that was real fun. Cool. Yeah, so uh, let's talk a little bit about that. Um, let's talk about which one would you like to talk about first? Oh, um, oh I can, I can, uh, the urban stages one, um, I can probably be more concise about that. As you may have noticed, I'm a little all over the place, but I'm enjoying this. Oh, good. Tremendously. Good. Excellent. But um, the, um, the urban stages thing was so much fun because um, I, I've done a couple projects with them uh, before. The, uh, Barris Wayne um, recruits me into the short play uh, projects whenever, mm -hmm. uh, whenever she can, whenever there's room. And this time she um, she combined me with um, uh, the um, actor uh, um, Danielle Bourgeois. Yeah, her real name. And uh, and uh, we um, we the assignment was um, to pick a quote. Um, from this list of quotes or find another one um, that are quotes from or about heroes slash villains, real or fictional. And cool. um, um, Danielle and I both met and we realized neither one of us had read the list. So we were like reading the list and she found one right away that was Albert Schweitzer, hero. Um, 
uh, and it was um, happiness is nothing more than good health and a bad memory. And my first reaction was, oh, that sounds like something you'd say to someone you would just roofied. <laughs> and I think Danielle was a little taken aback at that moment because uh, I immediately went there. But um, but uh, but she, um, uh, I was talking to her about uh, whenever I do a like. Uh, uh, a, a kind of theatrical skydiving event like this. It's, um, uh, I, I like to ask the actors, you know, what do you usually play? What do you never get to play that you want to play? And we were talking about how she um, frequently plays, um, you know, like the tough chick with the heart of gold. Oh, yes. And I was like, okay. so, and you can see it. So I'm like, well, why don't we play, why, why don't I write you someone who seems outwardly really, really nice, yet has no heart at all? Ooh, I and, love this. Uh, yeah, and she's, and what I love about that character is that she's a, she's a total villain who thinks she's a hero. And I, I've had enough experience in my life with, with narcissists. I'm thinking of a couple people in particular who, you know, they will jump into any situation to help out just so, so, so someone can thank them so they can say, oh, it's no problem. Oh, every day. I mean, I, oh my goodness. These yes. friggin' people. And it's just, <laughs> and she's one of those people who's like, she does this horrible thing. So her, 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 her brother, you know, will be traumatized by it so that when he comes to her with his trauma, she can tell him not to worry. And it's just like, move on. <laughs> move on. And, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, and so totally. that she can be the one to rescue him. It's like, she's the kind of person who will set a fire put it out in plain view of, pe uh, uh, of of setting it so that people can say, oh my God, weren't you brave for putting out that fire? Well, I know. My goodness. Thank yeah. you for saving and us. Thank <laughs> you for saving us. Oh, it's not a problem. Yeah. And it's just, it's so, uh, and you know, we've all been dealing with like the rampant malignant narcissism for the past five years in so many mm -hmm. ways, but in one way in particular, but yeah, but, um, but yeah, so that was a, a, a fun character to write and then to work with a, uh, the director Christine Kirker, who wanted to make the um, um, the beginning and the end like um, to give it a Mister Rogers neighborhood feel, oh, and I was like, and that's totally her. And I was like, perfect. Yes, yes, it was just evil, and I loved it. So that went on. That went on the beginning of February, right? Yeah, yeah. It was yeah. for two weeks, and then we extended for uh, I think a week and a half. Oh um, wow! So that so was nice. I want to talk about um, the book. Please. Uh, so talk about what what was the, what was the impetus for for writing and and why did you want to do it this may disappoint you um because the what? reason this no. how this all came Ever. to be um uh, is one day I picked up a bunch of napkins and they were all wet. And I said, oh God, all the napkins are wet. And I thought that would be a great title. And then I wrote the first monologue entitled All of the Napkins Are Wet about this little girl named Daphne who is at, at she is dressed up in a little dress she doesn't want to wear at a tea party she doesn't want to be at that she's hosting that she doesn't want to host. She would much rather be with her friend Zoe who is a quote unquote tomboy and because she has a, you know, she's an eight-year-old girl with a crush on another eight-year-old girl. And uh -huh. she wants to be with her and not at this stupid party with these stupid giggly, as she said, calls them taffeta car alarms. I'm so proud of that line. <laughs> but, uh, but she hates where she's at. And she is there with her little friend, Bertram, who is also eight. They, um, um, and they are, of course, you know, as, as um, 
third graders are, uh, they, they are, you know, they are married and she just doesn't think it's going to work out. And, um, and, as and she, as she talks, right. yeah, as she talks to him about, you know, how he, he, he wears his little vests and his little ties and he knows all the histories of the teas. And so it's like, so, so it was fun where I was creating this thing and it's all like kind of coming to me randomly based on the fact that I put, picked up a, a pile of soggy napkins, but there's Daphne and, and, you know, it's not a nice thing to say about Daphne, but I think she'd take it as a compliment. Daphne's a little bitch. Well, <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, Taffeta. She's, yeah, she's not nice. And she is, in the three plays in which she appears, she is never, never nice. She's a wicked little child and I love her, love her, love her. Um, <laughs> I, I wish I had a Daphne growing up. And 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 her friend Bertram, um, uh, you know, she, in that I monologue, that she's describing... I'm so happy, um, but um, I don't know where it came from. I love but, it. I, I, but she's describing that she wants to be with Zoe. Her best friend Bertram is there, and she thinks that he would be much happier spending more time with his friend Robert, who can teach him how to throw a ball. And from that monologue, um, those relationships were sort of the foundation of those relationships uh, came. And that's um, and the next uh, monologue I, I felt I had to write was. Um, was Bertram's because Bertram was very much in my head um, mm -hmm. because I really wanted to, um, you know, this little boy who wears ascots and is very, very, you know, <laughs> prim and like I said, knows the histories <laughs> of the teeth. And, and I wanted this relationship. And again, it's sort of like the nerd jock dynamic that I was, of although I, I, I don't see um, uh, uh, um, Bertram is not quite nerdy. He's sort of geeky in a specific way, and mm -hmm. and I um, and I don't think um, um, Robert is particularly a letter, you know, like like an eight year old future letter jacket wearer. But um, but maybe he is. Um, but I, I really wanted something to to happen, and uh, what I and the that play is um, Bertram's monologue called "How to Tie a Cravat." Um, <laughs> was um was That's what happens fabulous. after um ba robert shoves bertram to the ground because robert's father told him not to play with with the faggot anymore oh wow and um it's like and it's like dealing with like there's homophobia and and abuse in 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 robert's household and mm. the only direction that it can he can't fight back so the mm. only direction it can go is towards this one person who he loves more than anybody. And it's his, his best friend who he has been instructed by his father to hate and to yeah. hurt. Right. And um, yeah. So and, in the midst of the yeah. comedy, there are some yeah. heavy duty themes here. There's a lot of heavy duty stuff yeah. in, in, in these plays. Um, wow. And I like, I, I, when I was writing um, a four or an introduction, I, I, I decided this has to be an introduction for parents because mm -hmm. um, like I think, and I'm taking it for granted from my own experience that, um, you know, when you're a third grader and suddenly you're very used to be calling faggot, it's, you know, you, 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 and, and you're dealing with a lot of stressors and prejudice already mm -hmm. that, um, that, that I think that, um, you know, in, in a lot, and I think a lot of kids today, um, um, a lot of gay kids today have parents who accept them for who they are right away. Right. And, um, I, and so they're not really, you know, may, maybe this experience and this prejudice is not something that they are dealing with as immediately. 
but um, but there's a lot of um, I mean there's the the plays deal with um, a, a prejudice and abuse mm -hmm. um, and um, and uh, and that's why I'm in because um, I'm sure that's going on in some households. Still. It has to be, and yeah, I mean I, I can't imagine that there are still little kids being thrown out of their house for it's. Yeah. And I, I, I know that this, so this book, this can be found on Amazon, correct? Yeah. And these are, and are they all, how many monologues? There are, are four monologues. Each kid gets one monologue okay. and then the boys get one play and the girls get one play. And then all four of them get their own play. And, um, and that was, uh, um, uh, the, the hardest one to write was uh, Robert's monologue because I didn't know what to do. Mm -hmm. I didn't want, know if it should be a, an apology to um, to, to Bertram um, and, or, or what. And then it came to me where um, it's uh, uh, it, it's called Not Exactly a Lullaby. And it's Robert talking to his mother while she is sleeping, making sure that he is she is sleeping while he is talking, talking about how he doesn't know what to do because all of his friends hate him and his best friend hates him because he did what his dad told him to do and he doesn't understand it. Oh, wow. And it's, and it's, um, I, I think um, the, the strategy was to, after, after how to tie a cravat, people are going to not like, they, they're not going to want to hear what Robert has to say. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to give Robert something to say that, that people would under, where people would understand him. Mm -hmm. Even if he didn't quite understand himself, and the, the saddest moment I think in that piece is um, when his mother starts to um, wake up, and she he tells her, that, no, "No, it's okay. You can go back to sleep. Dad's not here." And it ties in so much with how much we learn from our families, how much yeah. we learn from our parents, the voices that they they give us that we just repeat. And how dangerous that is! A, a lot. I, I, it's very dangerous because we, we. I, I mean, I just, I, I, my parents were both devout racists. Wow. Um, and, and and no, my mother was Korean. Right. Um, I had to remind my. I had to tell my father at one point. I said, "You do realize you're the only person in your immediate family who is white." Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and he kind of laughed. He's like, "Oh, I guess you're right." I'm like, "Yeah." Yeah, I am. Um, but uh, yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, yeah. So it, he it, was racist towards your mom and to oh, all of you. Um, he not he was he was not racist towards the kids because he saw his children as white. I see. But there was definitely there were racist arguments um, uh, between my father and my mother. My my father suffered from um, uh, all at the same time. Uh, depression, paranoia, um, uh, social anxiety, and intermittent explosive disorder. Oh, wow. Um, which was undiagnosed. But when you learn about something and you see like, oh, wow, there are this many criteria and he meets all of them, um, mm -hmm. including having outbursts of, of violent outbursts of temper that he immediately does not remember. He's like, uh, why is everybody pissed yeah. off at me? I'm like, yeah, you were not listening to you for the past half hour. Mm -hmm. And he was like, I don't remember any of that. And, and we thought it was very convenient that he mm -hmm. said that. Turns out he neurologically did not. Mm -hmm. he, his brain did not retain the outbursts. Wow. Um, but, uh, but there was all that um, in addition to the racism and a very contentious relationship between the parents themselves. Um, that when they, they it's funny because they, they, um, they separated in 1991 and never divorced. 
Oh, really? They never divorced. They barely saw each other during uh, the, between 1991 when they separated and um, 2000, uh, the end of 2014 when my father died. Wow. They barely saw each other. And, um, but, but they, um, for, I guess it was just easier. I suppose. And see, you know, just hearing these stories, I can see why, how much of this is, is indicative in your work. Mm. I mean, it's, you know, we write what we know and, and even yeah. though maybe it's not our own stories, it's it, the stories, they burst forth from our own experiences. You know, you, you read, you read about E.M. Forrester. So you see something there yeah. that's, and then yeah. you put that in your dialogue, which is, really beautiful and just hearing you, you talking about your experiences. But I want, before I forget though, I want to talk about your career in daytime drama. Sure. And, and you, you've won five Writers Guild Awards. Yeah, that was very nice. That's um, incredible. We were, we, were we, we had been nominated a few times and we kept losing. And then, and then it was like, um, okay, well, I'll go again. And then lo and behold, we won. And, uh, and then um, the next year happened. And I was like, well, we're not winning two in a row, but I'll go in. And then we won two in a row. And then I was like, okay, well, we're definitely not winning uh, three in a row. Um, and so I didn't go. And then we won. And then I think it was the fourth time, um, the fourth year, we were the only nominee. So, we were so just like, yeah. Well, yeah, so I went. <laughs> I went yeah, well, yeah. And then, and then, the, in. And then the reason I went, um, what, the fun statistic here, I, I like award statistics, uh, is that um, uh, Ryan's Hope had won um, four Writers Guild Awards, uh, four consecutive Writers Guild, uh, Guild Awards in the daytime drama category three times. Mm -hmm. They had done it four in a row, three times, but they had, but no one had done five. So I went on that, that, that next time um, on the off chance that we might get number five consecutive and it happened and it's like we broke a record and I think I, I'm, I was the only one who knew. How did you, how did you start in daytime drama and when what was the you know what was the beginning of that where and and um, how and well the um like i've always kind of liked soap operas because i was curious about them uh and so i uh when i was a kid i um turned on the young and the restless one day and um terry lester was jack abbott um and uh andrea evans was uh was Patty. i remember yes <laughs> Well, do you remember there was the episode where Patty shot Jack? I remember that. Yes. Well, that was like the first episode of a soap opera I ever watched. And of course, naturally, it's a Friday. So it was the most anxiety-ridden weekend sure. of my young life. The cliffhanger. Perhaps to date. I was like, oh my God, Patty shot Jack. What, what, what? I've barely met these people. And in the next episode on Monday, you know, Jack is, you know, there, there's a whole, you know, the, how incrementally we tell those stories you know jack you know you know in the prologue jack is on the uh, on, on the floor he's discovered at the end of act one they're they're taking the by you know eventually like he's in the hospital and he's like ready to to you know someone saying you know do you know who did this cut to commercial yes i know who did this it was cut to commercial come back it was and then patty 
Patty has been wandering around the entire episode in a daze and then someone bumps into her and immediately snaps too because that's how trauma ends and then and then she is of course immediately in front of a wall of TVs that are reporting that Jack has been shot she has no memory of the incident and she's like oh my god Jack and she runs off and then the moment he's about to tell tell everyone that Patty shot him she runs in and she says oh my god Jack who did this to you <laughs> and I was hooked ever since ever since I've loved soap operas that is the moment why and and the one of the best moments of my professional life is I got to tell Andrea Evans that oh my god <laughs> it was like you're the reason Andrea but uh but yeah um so then like I'll, uh, the long story medium of how I got into this thing is um um it was uh, a friend of mine suggested you know why don't you give soaps a shot and I'm like well sure why don't I just do that I'll just try soap operas. <laughs> and then I was like, you know what? He has a point. And I, I, I called my agent and, and I was like, um, maybe we should give this a try again. Because I had an interview at NBC a few years and nothing came of it. And I, I think I blew the interview. But, um, but I, um, uh, I, I wrote, um, the, my, my agent called the network. And at the time, ABC had a writer development program for daytime. They taught you how to write ABC soaps. And I did um, a, a couple of audition scripts for that, um, uh, I, one in 2001 and then um, again in 2002. And um, what, what's funny is that they, um, in order to uh, get the audition, they sent, uh, my agent sent um, um, the M. Forrester play to them. Mm -hmm. oh. And they're like, oh, it's beautiful, but it's not really what we're looking for. So then she said, well, how about this one? And she sent my play Intellectuals, which is a balls out comedy uh, it's a, basically a, a screwball comedy of manners and they're like yes this and they like the the over the topness and the and the melodrama and the uh, uh, and the zaniness of it um and so um i got into the writer development program in 2003 which was amazing um Ali taggart ratcliffe who um uh has an amazing career as an actor and certainly as a soap writer and a, as a producer now uh, is extraordinary um, and she was our teacher and she's uh, I consider her one of my mentors um, but um, and then that was in 2003 and then um, my first job didn't happen until I didn't get hired uh, to start on a show until 2009 oh. so there was it was a total of eight years and there was um, uh, the best part about that there's all this stuff that happened but um, uh, at one point um, two people I knew on the show uh, said, Scott, you know, they wrote to me and they're like, Scott, you have to write to the network now and write a sample script now, now is the time. And I'm like, okay. And then I, I write to um, uh, Sue Johnson at, at, at ABC mm -hmm. and she was, uh, she was throughout all this and then there were ups and downs. Um, she was always on my side. Um, she and Jesse Murray, who were at, at, at ABC, were always on my side. They were my champions. They are two of the biggest reasons I have anything remotely resembling a career. And, um, and they, um, <clears throat> Sue got back to me and, and said, well, you know, um, we have a lot of samples out right now, but check back with me in a few months. Mm -hmm. And then days later, like two, three days later, she's like, Scott, you know how things in day, you of all people know how things in daytime turn on a dime. Can you write the sample now? Sure, no problem. And I wrote to um, the, the, the friends I had on the show and one of them, 
uh, Anna uh, Teresa Cascio wrote back and she, she said, oh, I'm so glad that happened because I was on the phone with Ron Carlovati, our head writer over the weekend, and I refused to get off the phone with him until he opened up the email I sent him with your old scripts, uh, your old sample scripts, and he started to read them. So she held Ron hostage on the phone until he read the samples. And, that is um, awesome. And that's how uh, apparently I got to write that sample. And, and I was, um, uh, which eventually um, landed me the job. And what's uh, additionally funny is that it takes three months to write a sample because they want you to take a month to catch up with what's going on. What, there's, there, there's a three month lag time between what's airing on the show and what they're writing. Right, so right. They needed you to um, catch up with, um, uh, between what was airing and what they were writing and then, and then stay with it. And then, mm -hmm. and then at the end of that, you write the episode that you think is best for, for your voice. Mm -hmm. and, and I did that and what was, um, but is that while I was doing that, I had a play, go, Moonlight Love Song was happening at my theater and we had two spaces and it was in our, our bigger space. It was a huge 65 seat house. And um, I was in the 30 seat black box, but Ron came to see the show. Oh. And he's, and so I get, I finally get to meet Ron in person and he's like, they haven't gotten back to me about your sample. I'm like, no, I'm in that other room writing it as we speak. I'm writing it tonight. Uh, but uh, so he, so that was great, but I eventually um, uh, turned it in. And then by the time I turned it in, the, sh the show was fully staffed oh. and there's no space for me. So my agent is like, so Scott, um, your mother's Korean, right? I'm like, yes, why? And she said, well, um, there is, um, Disney's job bank has a diversity training program and there's a producer training slot and they can uh, basically turn that into a writer training slot for you. Like, I don't have to apply for this. They're like, no, it's yours. Oh, so I got, um, I landed a diversity training spot um, in, um, in the Disney job bank um, and was in the writer's room at One Life to Live uh, for a year. You have a great um, agent. Uh, she did his job yeah and it was it was terrific and then uh, and um i i learned a lot about um how the room works um mm -hmm. and then and after a while it was a lot of um you know i would come in for notes meetings and i would uh, get assigned a script um and the, the the craziest assignment i got when i was there they were like um hey so um snoop dogg is returning to guest on the show and we need you to write his scenes in fact, you're writing the entire episode, but we need his scenes in two days. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. And I'm like, how do I write dialogue for Snoop Dogg? And fortunately, um, Aida Kroll um, uh, had written this, uh, his previous script and she said, she advised me, um, you know, listen to his interviews. Just listen to the way he talks. And, um, and, and, and it'll come to you. And even like, even if you're not into the music, listen to the music and I listen to the music and I listen to the way he talks. And I'm like, he, he talks like uh, just, he talks like anybody else. It's just that, that his syntax is different. And it's just like, okay. so, so I'm doing this and I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to like, uh, you know, filter the way uh, that Snoop Dogg talks and, um, and, um, I come in to work um, after he's got gotten the um, gotten it, and 
people are like, hey, Snoop Dogg loved your script. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, that's good. My co coworker Snoop Dogg enjoyed my work. So that was uh, that was nuts. That was. Um, is it that fast all the time? Because no. I can't imagine. No, it's not. Because it it always seems like the excitement of the daytime is like you're you're just giving out scripts daily, it's, um, crazy. Well, it's that fast for the actors. Um, I... For us, um, uh, it, it's um, we are. Um, um, it's it, there's the the head writers who flesh out the overall picture of where this want the story to go and then they they work with the breakdown team and they decide what's going to happen um initially day by day mm -hmm. and then um individually scene by scene so by the time i get an outline it is um a detailed scene by scene outline about what is supposed to happen um including the gist of the conversation which um i you know um usually change and, and rewrite and, and embellish. Sometimes they're like, oh, you're lovely just the way you are. But, um, and the job is to make sure that, again, like with, with my own work, is to make sure that everyone sounds the way that they're supposed to sound and the way, uh, and that they behave in the way that they're supposed to behave. One of the things that, that, that I, I personally take liberties with is um, every now and then um, we'll have a female character who is confronted by a male character or the male character will do something and the female character in the outline is shocked and I'm like not on my watch um, and there was one time uh, um, Anna Devane super spy um, who who is you know, um, uh, basically our version of, of Wonder Woman and this other character like drops his towel in front of her and in the outline it's like oh and and she turns away and I'm like Anna Devane is not turning away in my script. And, and, and I'm like, he drops his tail. Anna looks down, looks up and says, are you expecting me to applaud? And it's just like, <laughs> no, we're going to, we're going to give, we're going to, we're going to give, you know, retorts. So um, you're writing for strong characters and strong I, yeah, women. Strong, strong characters, strong women. We, we have, I mean, our, our actors are wonderful. Our, 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 our actresses, our women are especially extraordinary. Um, uh, it, it's 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 a I, I have this it's really great for these past um oh god um oh my god it's been over a decade it's been like the past 12 years i've been doing this um i i've had this army of muses that mm -hmm. uh is really terrific and especially the um you know the 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 the, the soap opera divas the, mm -hmm. the 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 actresses i i i found a is especially inspiring back from like writing for like um vicky v vicky davidson and all of her personalities <laughs> on, on 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 one life to live and and dorian lord and oh uh, i love it uh, oh my god yes and um <laughs> and then and then all these tremendous strong female characters on um on on one life to live and every now and then we get um you know we get someone who is a legacy character that comes back like uh laura's mother uh leslie weber and, mm. um, had a great uh fun moment with one of our newer characters um who was like so it's nice to finally meet the uh the the tramp who seduced my married father <laughs> and to which you know I, I i i gave her the response like i seduced your married father well, you'll have to narrow it down because that's all I ever do. Oh, I love it's just that like, line. Yeah, and, and oh she delivers God. it so so dryly and so beautifully. And it's just um, 
it's it's so much fun and it's really great when 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 you know you know like your own bit of sassiness makes it to air and they play with it well i was just gonna say i mean you've got this voice and you you've got yeah. you know wealth of experience and hu- an incredible amount of humor so i i can see that coming through in the characters that you write for and and, and again yeah. their dialogue because yeah. you're so good at dialogue now you're based in new york but the yeah. the, the show is shot in california oh yeah yeah well so you just all work were, together on um, zoom no no the, uh, um the script writers actually work by remote we just get emails I see. We get we get outlines and we turn in scripts and we um um and the uh, uh, the the breakdown team and and uh, the head writers and the editor. Um, there's a lot of emailing and there's a lot of video conferencing and I'm sure you know skyping and I, I believe during um, <clears throat> before the plague here they actually met in person at least a couple times a week. Um, but yeah, um, but there's it's an assembly line. Um, it really is, and it's a very I don't know how we do it because there's so the turnover. Like how fast do you have to um, get this out? I, I have to, I have a week to write the script. Wow. Um, and um, yeah. And, and uh, it's, it's um, yeah. Uh, whenever I'm asked, like, how do you divide your time? I'm like, well, um, during any given week, I um, there's four days for me and four days for general hospital. <laughs> I've done well, yeah, the math. You have to the system. The math is there and it is accurate. Right. But right. four days each um, in any given Beatles week. But yeah. Uh, um, and, um, <laughs> and it's, and the thing is, it's like, if I have a, a question about a, a breakdown, um, I, we were, I was instructed early on, like the person that you write, you don't write the breakdown writer, they're busy writing next week. They don't have time to, to work. But the editor um, and, the, and the writer's assistant will always have time for you. <laughs> and they do. And, um, and I, I've just gotten, a, a, you know, I always get a, a good bit of, of guidance from them. And it must be um, a thrill when you actually are watching it and you see your dialogue coming out in of these characters mouths. Um, it is. It's especially a thrill when it comes out um, the way you wrote it. Right. Uh, because, um, because for, for several reasons, one, because it's just like, um, you're hoping for that. Um, and I, I, I any script I write is long. I, I will, um, an episode of General Hospital is roughly 36 minutes and my scripts are, I, I, I turn in an hour of material. So like half of it is automatically going to be compressed or gone. And I know that. And by the time I see it, it's three months later. I'm not going to remember. Are you assigned specific characters or is it for no, the, the whole, whole Everybody whole writes everything because, wow. um, because assigning specific characters would be maddening. That would mean like I would write things and then someone else would have to write replies that matched you're right uh, exactly yeah. the and continuity so, yeah so we all write everyone and the, the magic of it is that we all have to you know we're all writing every storyline in various segments and we have to make sure that it matches up to the outline before and the outline after even when the outline after may not have been written yet and it's just wow. um and it's so so there's um uh, if you know know the character voices, it really is very helpful and their their strengths and their relationships because every now and then there are two people in the scene who don't like each other that you have to remember that. They're oh, not be, yeah. Or, or, or that they're not going to be as friendly as uh, as they might be in the Because you have to remember the history of the relationships. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. And and when you all write your different scripts, then <clears throat> that goes to the head writer and the editors who then take oh, it, some it, from all of you or? It goes, or uh, it goes to, well, well, we write the full episode and the editor, uh, um, they, I think um, uh, she, she pairs it down 
and she fixes it. She, um, there were times when I'm just, I watch an episode and I'm, and sometimes I'll watch when, not often, but I'll watch and I'll read along with what I wrote and I'll be like, oh, you just turned that moment of mine into gold. You just saved my butt on the air. Uh, because I'm just like, wow. So do you write like Thursday's episode and then somebody else writes Fridays? Is yeah, that how pretty it, much. Oh, yeah, wow. we, we write, I never knew how this worked. All episodes. Um, oh, so, so I, I, and, and um, you know, one or two, any, we write, we write five to seven in any given week. And um, there are five uh, script writers. So eventually one or two of us will have two. Mm -hmm. um, and then um, and those are busy weeks. Those are tense. But, uh, but yeah, it's, um, uh, but yeah, we, we do, um, the breakdown writers write full episodes and the script writers write full episodes. There's no, no dividing. Every now and then an episode will run seriously long and it will be divided into two parts. Sure. That's happened rarely, but the good thing is that it's no additional work and yet you get an additional paycheck. So yay, that's happened twice in a decade. So, so what is next for you? Uh, I mean, what else, what is your, the next thing you're going to do besides um, continuing well, with the, with the daytime drama and the usual more plays? That I have not been canceled and not informed about it. Um, <laughs> Because that happened at one last we got all got on a on a meeting and then and then Ron said so I take it you've all heard by now that uh, ABC canceled all my children in one life to live today and I was like I had but I'm not going to be the only person to admit that I so did. that's where you started you started with one life to live yeah and yeah. then you went to General Hospital I went to General yeah. Hospital after we were canceled wow um, and then um uh, and uh, yeah so but what's next um is a good question because I have um uh, right now there's a lot of little things happening um there were some nice uh pub a couple of nice publications and mm -hmm. um of uh, a monologue a one-act play and a full length so it's sort of like the gamut uh uh there but um and um uh um i have monologues coming up in a couple of uh, in um miranda jante's back porch theater and um mind the gaps uh housebound series but um uh, there's, I have no major productions or anything coming up. Um, like it's been Pandemic. incredibly busy yeah. Yeah, time. Yeah. I, I mean, I do have a theater 22, um, scheduled a performance in Seattle, uh, theater, theater 22 in Seattle, mm -hmm. um, had slated nonsense and beauty for its next season. Oh. And it has been postponed, but apparently not canceled. So I'm, I'm hoping that's still happening at some point. And, um, and um, Fritz Brickeller, uh, my composure director and I, um, we are hopefully planning something for the Hollywood Fringe this year. We were supposed to do it last year, but pandemic. And, um, and we've been going back and forth because last year we were going to do this my comedy perfecting the kiss where there's an insane amount of kissing. And we're like, well, there's no way we can do that without like possibly killing someone <laughs> or five people. Yeah, it, it um, does pose a problem at this point yeah, with a mask but, on, yeah. yeah. But we have a nice uh, horror play that I, I, I have. I, I, I span several genres. That's another way I, my writing's changed over the oh. years. I've expanded from like, like realistic, straight up uh, comedies and dramas to, um, to science fiction horror. And, um, and as a writing exercise, I wrote my first fantasy play about um, a, a woman and her husband who has been turned into, um, into a garden gnome. Oh, oh, they have problems. oh. Yeah, it's a racy <laughs> little play, but yeah. <laughs> 
Well, I'll tell you, this has been absolutely just a thrill, delightful. You are hilarious. I want to mention again, Playing on the Periphery is monologues and scenes for and about queer kids. It's available on amazon.com. Make sure you check that out. A prolific playwright, screenwriter, award-winning Scott Sickles. Thank you so much for spending time on Moonstone Connections podcast. This has been great. I've had a blast. (laughs) I'm so glad. Well, that's our show. Thank you for joining me. Be well, be safe, and be good to each other. I'm Sharon Hunter. Until next time on Moonstone Connections.